Hey, welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays at docwashburnshow.com. Minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is the 84th episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. Coming up in just a moment, a former attorney for the President of the United States will tell us about voter fraud, and also we might even talk about Hunter Biden a little bit. After that, I'll tell you why I've decided to run for governor of Arkansas. True story. But first, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. And yes, we must keep the January 6th political prisoners in our prayers. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. All right. Um, it's an honor to welcome our next guest to the program, uh, Clint Lancaster, former attorney for the president uh, and also um, an attorney who has uh, been in court on the other side of the, the Hunter Biden case. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you, Doc? Doing good. Doing good. Appreciate you coming on the program today. So I guess... First thing, let's find out a little bit about you. You're from Arkansas, right? That's correct. I'm from Saline County. I graduated Bryant High School in 1998. Um, went to college here in Arkansas, law school in Arkansas, and I've maintained a law practice in Saline County for, uh, I guess, coming on 12 years now. So how did you wind up being attorney and attorney for President Trump? Well, that credit goes to my wonderful wife, Jennifer Lancaster. Uh, she had signed up for a group called uh, Lawyers for Trump in case we were needed. Okay. And they called about the Georgia recount, and we didn't answer. And then they called about the Wisconsin recount. And so we ended up in uh, Dane County, Wisconsin, which is Madison, for the Madison recount. There was only two, a Madison and a Milwaukee. And basically, to make a long story short, that we ended up doing some work for the legal counsel on the floor. They asked us to join the legal counsels on the floor team. And then that guy's brother was Trump's head lawyer in Wisconsin. And he said, hey, I think my brother would probably like to have you work for him. So he asked us to join Trump's legal team. And we left the recount and went to the campaign headquarters and stayed for about a month. Wow. Now, a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that uh, Donald Trump um, went to court in a bunch of different venues and was defeated in what he was trying to get accomplished as far as um, looking at the integrity of the November 3rd, 2020 presidential election. But it's my understanding, I, I don't know if any of these courts even allowed an evidentiary hearing. It's as if 
none of these judges wanted to even look at the facts of the case. Am I am I correct on this? Well, the way it worked, especially in Wisconsin, was you went to the, the only way to challenge the election results in Wisconsin is after the election in a recount. And okay. so they bring out all the ballots and you make your arguments to the, the county election commission. In Dane County, that was two Democrats, one Republican. So you can probably imagine how it often went. Yeah. But that's your record. That's your evidence. Um, that's your evidentiary hearing. You don't get another evidentiary hearing in circuit court or the Supreme Court. You only get review. So that and that, and I break this down into two two type of deals. There's an election challenge, and then there's this integrity investigations that we have going on. And we didn't have the benefit of the knowledge we have now in an election integrity investigation that they had at the time of a recount happening a few short weeks after the election. Well, not only that, but there's a, quite a difference between a recount and an audit, right? There is. There is a difference between a recount and an audit. And and I'll just say yes, there's a difference. <laughs> okay. So if I understand correctly, um, an audit is not something that, that you were uh, provided the opportunity to do. It's just, just the recount. So uh, how did you go from the recount – and spending a month uh, in Wisconsin after the November 3rd, 2020 election to what you're doing now. So what I'm doing now is I, I represent the Wisconsin Special Counsel investigating the 2020 elections. And that person, the Special Counsel, is retired Justice Michael Gableman. Uh, so the Wisconsin Assembly passed a resolution charging the Committee on Campaigns and Elections with investigating the 2020 election. Right. And then in September of that of last year, the uh, Speaker of the Assembly, Robin Voss, created the Office of Special Counsel and tasked the office with assisting the Committee on Campaigns and Elections and conducting his own investigation. I got a call from uh, a, an attorney that I had worked with in Wisconsin during the recount and said, Justice Gableman is looking for people that can help. And so I sent him my resume. He called me. He said, come to Wisconsin. I want to meet you. So I came up there. He hired me the same day I showed up, and uh, I spend a, I've been spending significant time in Wisconsin since October. Something that obviously uh, would never have occurred to you when you hung out a shingle 12 years ago to practice law in Saline County, Arkansas, that, that you'd be spending a lot of time like halfway across the country. I never, you know, I'm just a guy from Arkansas, but since I opened up my law firm, I've represented two MTV reality stars from 16 and Pregnant, an NFL linebacker, an NBA, uh, I guess you would call her a wife or girlfriend of an NBA player. Um, yeah, then there was Hunter Biden, President Trump, and now I'm in Wisconsin investigating election integrity. Okay, so if I understand correctly, um, a judge in Wisconsin announced he needed a special counsel to investigate the voter integrity, and the special counsel is you? No, the special counsel is Justice Gableman. I'm sorry. So the the way it works is the legislature wanted a special counsel. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. They appointed Justice Gableman, and then Justice Gableman hired me as one of his attorneys. Gotcha, gotcha. I try to listen closely. Um, Okay, so... um, so how long have you uh, been in this process? Because apparently this is kind of an outgrowth of the fact that you were an attorney for President Trump in the first place, 
shortly after the, after the election. That's that's how you were, um, you know, a, a name that the special counsel Justice Gableman wanted to 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 bring on staff. When when did he bring you on staff to do this uh, investigation of voter integrity in Wisconsin? October of 2021, and it was an outgrowth. It, it was informed by my. Uh, knowledge and what I had learned during the recount because yeah. we were deeply involved with that. I also have a lot of litigation experience. I've, I've handled, I've taken over 1,000 cases to trial. So I understand how that works. And then I also have great writing skills, or at least I like to think I do. And so those all came together for researching, reporting, and investigating. Wow. Okay. So um, what have you guys uncovered in Wisconsin? So there's been there's been quite a bit that the investigation has uncovered. It, it really I'm going to just talk about three areas. You have elder abuse in nursing homes. Um, you have this ballot tracking slash harvesting app that's been discovered, and then you have questions about the voting machines themselves. Mm-hmm. So and then really it comes down to in Wisconsin the city clerks administer elections, not the secretary of state. So what they did was they allowed private, privately funded special interest groups to come in and take over the elections, especially in Green Bay, and, and they were very active in Milwaukee. So are these like um, uh, private groups related to Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook? Yes, they are. There's two out there, and a lot of people don't know. Both these groups love to call themselves nonpartisan, which I think is the biggest lie that you could ever and – I, and I can't believe that people believe them – but they call themselves nonpartisan. There's two. There's the Center for Tech and Civic Life, which is the one that was active in Wisconsin. And then there's the Center for Election Innovation and Research, SEER, which is ran by David Becker, and they were active across other states. Wow, wow, wow. Um, and we're talking $419 million total given by Zuckerberg for the 2020 elections. In just that one state? Just no, between those two organizations. Between those two organizations, which were uh, active in a number of swing states. That's correct. And only yeah. swing states. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think that you have, uh, you and the folks you're working with, have uh, come up with enough evidence to call into question um the idea that Joe Biden beat Donald Trump in Wisconsin? That's a that's a tough question. Um, a lot of people ask, was the election stolen? And yeah. so we get in, you know, there weren't, I have not found ballot boxes that were stuffed. I have not found, you know, people who voted twice or who weren't eligible to vote. But we have found where the absentee balloting voting was extremely exploited, abused, they established, quote, drop boxes. And, I, and being on the Saline County Election Commission, I, I told Justice Gableman and anyone who will ask, you know, the idea of a ballot drop box is pretty much a foreign concept in Arkansas. Yeah. That you could just take your ballot to a box and just drop it. Um, but they did. They were everywhere. And then we have the an app showing where they could know who requested a absentee ballot and who had um, not returned it. And they could filter that down by race. And they specifically said, we are targeting black and African-American voters. We want to make sure their vote counts. So we, we, want to, we want to make sure that we're getting their absentee ballots back in. And I think that the ways in which they went about doing that resulted in ballots that should not have been counted being counted. 
and and keeping in mind that Trump won or lost Wisconsin only by around twenty thousand votes, you I think you could find that in absentee ballots in the nursing homes. Wow, wow. That's my personal opinion. I want to be clear. That's my personal opinion. That's not the opinion of Justice Gableman or anyone else. That's just my personal opinion. Duly noted, sir. Yes, uh, for for the record, if it please the court. Um, so what kind of abuse did you find in the nursing homes? So the in Wisconsin, they have a what we would – it's comparable to our state board of elections. It's the Wisconsin Election Commission. And it's it said back when the pandemic first happened – that we are not going to spend, send what they call special voting deputies into nursing homes to help make sure those people can vote. And what those are, those are people who go into the nursing home. They're, one's, a, one's a Democrat, one's a Republican. You can take observers in, and they're the only people who are supposed to help those residents vote. Yeah. Well, the, the WEC decided that even though they asked the governor to suspend the special voting deputies, Governor Evers said, I don't, I can't do that. That's illegal. But that didn't stop them. They sure enough suspended them, sent the guidance out to the clerks that said, we're don't send special voting deputies. That's, that's what the election commission in Wisconsin said. That's correct. Okay. So instead what they did was they, they sent the ballots by mail to the nursing home and let nursing home staff assist these people in voting. These people who are in a nursing home. I mean, there, some of them have got are past the point of mentally being mentally cognizant enough to vote. Yeah. And they don't even know where they're at. Yeah. And so in nursing homes, what happened was people who hadn't voted in years, literally years, suddenly requested a fresh, brand-new absentee ballot, and they voted them. And what the investigation revealed was that some of these people didn't couldn't recognize their own kids. They couldn't tell you what they ate for breakfast. Some of them were hallucinating. Uh, some of them just wouldn't even communicate. I remember one that said, you know, my dad just wants candy bars or something like that. That's all he wants. Yeah. And so when our, when I think when the, uh, Racine County Sheriff investigated this, uh, and it's now, um, Lieutenant Mike Luell who did that, he said that, um, well, how did you, how did you figure out who they wanted to vote for? Well, we asked him who the last president they remembered voting for. And if they remembered Kennedy, we vote them along the democratic party lines. I mean that, and you know, wow. some of them they said we held it up and they pointed at it. Some of them we were told to put them in front of a news channel and come back later, and they never said whether that news channel was CNN or Fox or whatever. Um, and then we'd come back and ask them how they wanted to vote, and they, the it's illegal for nursing home staff to to help a voter vote in a nursing home, and it's also illegal to not have those ballots secured. So. Those ballots were just literally laying on tables and bars open for anybody to look at, anybody to mark. They were not secure. If if Miss Smith didn't want to vote, we put it on the table and they came back later. And it was unsealed and could have been – this is the kind of stuff that even the Carter-Baker Commission warned against. Okay, tell tell my listeners what the Carter-Baker Commission is. So the Carter-Baker Commission was a nonpartisan commission formed to investigate election integrity. I, I believe it was the early 2000s. And they said that the most the area that's most ripe for exploitation is absentee balloting. Absentee voting occurs outside of the clerk's office where people are more susceptible to influence. So if you would think of it this way, right, if you're at the clerk's office voting or at the poll voting on Election Day, they're not going to let me or you, Doc, come up and say, let me tell you why you should vote for, you know, person X. Let me tell you why yeah. you should vote for Trump. And are you voting for Trump? Yeah. You know, they wouldn't tolerate that, but that can happen in an absentee setting. 
And so that's just one of the many, many areas that is just ripe for exploitation and abuse. So if you had to, to um, come up with a ballpark figure of um, the abuse that you were just uh, explaining to us, recounting for us in nursing homes in Wisconsin, because um, you probably haven't had a chance to look at all the nursing homes in all the counties of Wisconsin, but if you had to come up with a ballpark figure uh, based on the investigations that you have done, uh, any idea how many um, uh, ballots there would be questionable? I could only speculate. I have not. I I am. I did a lot of the investigation into the people and their relationships, the nonprofits. I did not do very much into the nursing homes. Um, but I feel that if you were able to tally all of those up, that they would surpass the 20,000 votes from which President Trump lost by. I, I just think there's too many of them. Yeah. So um, I had a lawyer one time tell me that um, states pass laws um, saying what the state government must do and what it must not do. And there's not always a remedy if the law is broken. In other words, that's against the law. Well, yeah, but what's the penalty? Well, we forgot to put. So so it's against the law for nursing home employees to do what these nursing home employees in Wisconsin clearly did. Um, and ignorance of the law is is no defense. If it's against the law, it's against the law. You, you know. So, so what... What is the penalty in Wisconsin for breaking that law, and is anybody going to be held accountable? So there are two issues there. Number one, I'm not a, I'm not doing a criminal investigation. Okay, uh, so okay. I can't speak to the criminal conduct. I'll tell you that Section 12 of the Wisconsin statutes contains a number of provisions against uh, that are criminal penalties against uh, people who do things like that. Now. I don't know. I mean, if you had a ballot harvester, like, you know, I think in Georgia somebody reported that they were paid $40,000 to collect absentee ballots and put them in ballot drop boxes. Yeah. So that is clearly a violation, a criminal violation, uh, and a felony violation in Wisconsin. Um, so I don't know so much about what they're going to do. I mean, it, criminally, that's up to a prosecutor. Sure. I can't do anything about that. Right. On the civil side, there are two subparts there. In the recount, you could we didn't know that during the recount, um, so we couldn't raise that issue. But if you raised it, then it would be up to the election commission to make a decision about whether those votes should count or not. And then secondly, what we're doing now is we're, we're determining what are the some better practices going forward. Most people don't know and they do not understand that absentee voting is a privilege. It is not a right. Okay. Both the United States Supreme Court, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, have both said that your right to vote is on election day. And, and you're not supposed to, the statute say, if there's a violation of the absentee voting laws, that ballot is not to be counted. But that's not what happened. Wow. 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 Yeah, it's definitely not what happened. And... um you know, anybody, I think, who was paying attention on election night and saw five swing states all stop count, uh, counting votes at the same time watching Fox News or whatever, you know, a lot of us are like, there's way too much smoke Yeah, for there not to be fired. 
You know, and that's, I, I don't, you know, as far as whether there's something connected to that in Wisconsin, I don't know because our investigation hasn't been going long enough. Yeah. We're currently working on our final report, so we may not have that answer. But I do know that there are there are problems. For example, the majority of clerks in Wisconsin use a ballot machine from ES&S. Um, yeah. And so, but, and those ballot machines have a 4G modem attached to them. And those ballot machines with their 4G modems were active on election night. I have had one attorney for a city in Wisconsin tell me that those those modems are active because they're transmitting data to the county. But if they're open and they're transmitting data, who else is hacking into them? Yeah. In Antrim, I think it's Antrim County, Michigan, there was a, a, a report done, and I've, I've got to talk to some really good computer experts in, in, my, in this job those ballot machines, there was there was an unauthorized access to the VPN, the, that which is basically means somebody that they don't know and they can't account for. It was anonymous. Access that machine. Yeah. And so if you have done that, you're, you've got a problem because that means that machine and its results are are compromised. But no one said, "Hey, let's uh, let's not count those votes or let's do something different." Instead, the clerks and um, Michigan, they cleared the machine's history, so we don't know if there was any. Then not only was there yeah. was it a hack, we just don't know what they did with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, you know, I had always told my listeners before the November third, twenty twenty presidential election, that voting machines are not connected to the internet because that's what I'd always been told. And then come to find out, oh well, you've been told wrong, Doc. And it's not just the Dominion voting machines in about 30-some states, but you mentioned ES&S. Those are the machines we have here in Arkansas. And I've got a friend who is head of an election commission in a small rural county in southeast Arkansas who told me that, uh, yeah, they are connected to the Internet. And I'm like, that's insane. That is insane. I know that – you have your two major manufacturers, which are Dominion and ES&S. Yeah. A lot of people feel safe because they think their voting machines are Sequoia. And Sequoia is the one that I believe that Saline County uses. It's You touch the screen, it prints it out, you put it in there. Sequoia is owned by Dominion. So. Oh, boy. Now, I mean, those are just... You got There's a problem, and what I don't understand is that all these people in Wisconsin, even about the machines, say this is the greatest election ever. It's a model of how elections should be done. So the office of special counsel says, great, let me look at your machine and look, talk to me about your data. We want to interview you. Uh, we refuse to, we're going to sue you instead, instead and say, you can't do that. Well, if it's such a great, perfect system, why is it that you don't want to talk about it? And why is it that you don't want to show us? You know, there's an old saying, uh, an old term called Occam's razor, which apparently means usually the most reasonable explanation for a situation is the correct explanation. Yeah. And so if, if they're trying to hide everything, it makes it seem like they have something to hide. I think they have something to hide. I mean, they're, you know, they say, well, you can't take depositions. Okay, well, fine. Well, how about we just get on the phone and talk about it? Nope, not doing that either. Well, I don't understand, you know, why won't you talk to us? If this is so great, clerks and WEC and everybody else, you know, you think that that we would be able to look at that and see that, but I have deep concerns about the integrity of, especially Wisconsin's elections. And WEC stands for Wisconsin Election Commission. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, in February of 2021, Time Magazine did a 20-page article um, basically boasting about how a uh, consortium of different uh, entities in this country stole the election. Of course, they didn't use the word steal. They said, we didn't steal it, we fortified it. Um, they said, we, we just couldn't take the chance that Donald Trump would be allowed to be president for another four years. So big tech and liberal activists and um, the uh, heads of large corporations all worked in tandem together to make sure that he couldn't win again. Um, and again, I mean, they're saying we didn't steal it, but the way they laid it out, you know, like with Zuckerberg of Facebook spending all this money to take over these um, local election offices, that uh, a lot of illegal and unconstitutional things were done um, in five or six swing states. Yeah, you know, the word stole is really hard to you know, some people have a problem with that word. You know, what, when, yeah. you're, when you're saying that, what this reminds me of is there's a guy named Bill White from Benton, Arkansas, has the furniture store. And I was talking to him one day, and just and he said, you know, when I first got involved in politics, everybody was a Democrat, and the county clerk had all these role, these names on the rolls of, of voters in Saline County, some of whom were dead and had moved away. It's like 10,000, 20,000, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And Bill told me, he said, I asked the clerk, I said, well, why, we need to clear those. And the clerk said, no, no, Bill Clinton might call and need 10,000 votes. Where do you think we're going to get them from? Wow. And so that's the same kind of thing I think we're seeing now is they found a system, a way to exploit the system. And they want to tell you it's nonpartisan. It's great. Everybody can vote from home. You know, what they have is a system that they want to protect. And even on this ballot harvesting tracking app, they said they want to continue developing this for future elections. Oh, so I'm sure. Th- this is their 10,000. This is when, when Biden calls and needs 20,000 votes, that's where they're going to get them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's insane. Um, the, kind of, uh, the kind of response that Trump's campaign was getting and the kind of response that Biden's campaign wasn't getting in 2020, um, it's it's ridiculous. You know, t- talking about since, um, you know, over 30% of our listeners are in Arkansas, talking about the old days uh, in Saline County. There's a guy named Lib Carlisle. <laughs> I know Mr. Carlisle. <clears throat> oh, okay. That's, I'm, I'm impressed because I've talked to a lot of people in Saline County who are like, yeah, who's that? I actually have but, I've known Lib and Sandra Carlisle for most of my life, my dad was an insurance agent there at Thomas Insurance with with um, with Lib. So I'm wow. I know Lib. Um, I know he's been a, a big supporter of the Democratic Party back oh, in yeah. the heyday. Yeah, yeah. He was um, for eight years when Bill Clinton was governor. Uh, Lib Carlisle was the chairman of the Arkansas State Democrat Party. Uh, I think he's one of a small group of advisors who was trying to figure out how to. Uh, position Bill Clinton as a viable candidate for president, you know, from a small southern state. But in the um, it was either 2015 or 2016, he gave a speech at the Saline County Heritage and Historical Society. And he talked about 
basically voter fraud back in the day and how, well, we would have already figured out who we wanted to be mayor of Perrin and we'd have the ballot boxes and we do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, wow. I mean, statute of limitations has run for years, I'm sure, but he's just, he's just out there just bragging about it. And I guess he's thinking, I'm in my 80s. Hillary's going to be president. What's anybody going to do to me? You know, but uh, I think the video is still on YouTube. And, and you know, if you look on YouTube and you look up the name Lib Carlisle, there's going to be one speech that he's ever given that's on video. And it just floored me at the time. Of course, I was doing local talk radio in, in central Arkansas, and Saline County is a big part of that. So uh, we played a lot of on my local talk radio show and, and talked about it at, at length. Um, but um, I was just flabbergasted how openly he was talking about it. But anyway, um, uh, n- no comment is needed at this point. Well, I'll just say election, election integrity has been an issue for a very long time. And while the methodologies have changed, you know, the fact that people will try to cheat an election is, is not, I mean, I've heard stories of, a ballot box full of votes for sheriff being found in somebody's attic, you know, long after they had died, you know, oh, my actually goodness. have the ballot box with live ballots. So, um, you know, since we've had elections, people have tried to find ways to cheat them. And, but you know, we need to make sure that they can't, because if, if you, if your vote doesn't count, we're not, we're not America any longer. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. And I think one of the things that bothers the, elites, whether we're talking about big tech, whether we're talking about a lot of these liberal think tanks or um, the heads of large, major multinational corporations, some of whom may be headquartered in Arkansas, what bothers them is that they know that their worldview is not the majority worldview in this country, and they are determined for their worldview to be in charge of this country and they know they can't get it at the ballot box, um, honestly. Um, and so they uh, they do other things. You know, my wife is the uh, the president of the Saline County Republican Women, and last night I believe she read a, a statement where she was uh, expressing support for doctors and people who are speaking out against the vaccine. And, um, you know, she said something to the effect of that God gave us these freedoms and it's for us to, to take and, and to protect. And if you don't, if you don't, agree with that that's fine just don't take our right away to to be able to say these things and do these things yeah and i think that's really powerful i think that yeah we we've got to we've got to remember that these are god-given freedoms and it's for us not the government absolutely absolutely and there's this thing in the constitution uh, called the 10th amendment um which basically says the washburn paraphrase um uh, that any Anything that the U.S. Constitution doesn't specifically say the federal government has power over, well, then that is left to the states and or the people. And that's something that's been ignored for a long time. For instance, there's absolutely nothing in the United States Constitution saying that the federal government has any right whatsoever to say anything about a child's education. And yet we've had this Department of Education now for, what, 50 years I mean, there, there are a lot of ways in which the federal government has infringed unconstitutionally um, on uh, the, uh, the powers of the states and the powers of the, uh, 
the citizens and 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 that's it, it, it is a shame that we have gotten to this this place I agree and I think that's important to note that that's why you need to elect conservative judges and justices people like Barbara Webb um, that is a that's a conservative um, people like Justice Gableman from Wisconsin who served up there for a number of years as a conservative. The conservatives understand that, yeah, and, and that's important because those decisions have lasting impact, as we've seen in something like Roe versus Wade. Um, you know, that's years and years and years of, of murdered babies. Yeah, it is. And um, I read a book um, written by uh, Bob Woodward, one of the two uh, uh, very well-known uh, Washington Post Watergate reporters, Bob Woodward and Scott, Scott Armstrong, wrote a book called The Brethren about the 1973 um, term of the U.S. Supreme Court. And it turns out that um, Harry Blackman early in life had been pro-life, but his wife and daughters had turned him to being pro-abortion. And so for a number of years he had been looking for a case uh, that the Supreme Court could take up to basically overrule um, the laws in the states against abortion. And he found that case in Roe v. Wade. Um, and these Washington Post reporters that wrote the book, I mean, they weren't looking to uh, slam liberal Supreme Court justices. They are just... Okay, well, here's what happened this year in the Supreme Court. And I, be- I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that, that that book is where I found out about Doe versus Bolton, which was the companion ruling to Roe v. Wade that came down a half hour later. Roe v. Wade set up a trimester scheme. And the third trimester, uh, the states would still have the legal authority to put some kinds of restrictions on abortion unless the mother's life or health was in danger. But Doe versus Bolton, the companion ruling, um, defined health as not just physical, but mental, emotional, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, those two rulings together opened up abortion all nine months for any reason whatsoever in the United States of America. You know, and as horrified as a lot of people are about any abortion, you know, first trimester, whatever, most people have no idea that those two rulings in early 1973 opened it up for all nine months, any reason whatsoever. Well, I'm, I'm really hopeful that the uh, Supreme Court of the United States is about to make a change on abortion. And yeah. I, I know that there's some been some discussion about the heartbeat bill here in Arkansas that could possibly come up in the fiscal session and I know that, you know, I know that my interpretation is the U.S. Supreme Court has been skeptical of the heartbeat bill and just how it's framed. Yeah. Um, but they've been more receptive to uh, overturning uh, Roe versus Wade. So I'm, I'm just really hopeful that the change is coming. I think Justice Scalia had it right, even though it's not as right as I want it to be. He said there was no federal right to an abortion, no right. federal constitutional right to abortion. Therefore, pursuant to the Tenth Amendment, that should be up to the states. Um, and so I, I think he's right. I I would prefer that he say there is no constitutional right 
and to get well, you can't get one period. It's illegal. It would violate the baby's constitution. Yeah, all fifty states, right? Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that we can make that stretch. But that's a, I'm, I'm really hopeful that that is coming <clears throat> to an end. Well, I am too. And one of the things when you look at um, this Supreme Court, um, and when you look at the justices that. Uh, uh, Donald Trump got on the Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, and uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And um, there have been a number of disappointments. And, and, and there are people going, well, gee, maybe just because you get on a list from the Federalist Society doesn't mean you're the constitutionalist that we thought you were, et cetera, et cetera. However, all that having been said, um, all the disappointments – uh, some more than others. Um, um, I believe that one of the things that concerned liberals so much was that in their previous writings, if not necessarily from the bench, then maybe for law review articles or whatever, I think it's pretty clear that Gorsuch and Barrett and Kavanaugh all have past statements uh, in which uh, they had said that Roe v. Wade was was uh, adjudicated incorrectly and was not good law. Uh, and, of course, you got Thomas and Alito. So regardless of how they may have disappointed us in other ways, on other cases, I'm not a betting man, but just given – what's out there in the public domain, it would not surprise one if you had Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett all voting to overturn Roe. And I agree with that analysis. Uh, I think that you're, they're going to get the votes, and it's going to happen. I, I feel like it's inevitable. Roberts, I don't know. You never know with him. Well, Roberts, he's – yeah, and I'll tell you to talk about disappointments that – our disappointment in Wisconsin was always Justice Brian Hagerdorn, who said he was a conservative and a federalist. But uh, when it came time to vote in the Trump case in 2020, he voted with the liberals. Not only that, he wrote the majority opinion. And so I understand disappointments, and I am I'm hopeful we don't have a disappointment on this court on this issue. But, yeah, we just – I we got to make sure we have the right people up there. And I think yeah. Trump did a great job of doing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, he's coming into office. And one of the things that I had read was that when he was running, um, he wanted to quiet any concerns that people would have about, um, you know, picking good constitutionalist um, uh, judges for the Supreme Court if and when. Uh, there were openings, and so he's like, "Look, the Federal Society, right here. I mean, this is the deal, right here." And 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 most of us thought, "Well, that's uh, you know, that's a gold standard." And again, you know, there have been some disappointments. Uh, a lot of us were very disappointed when the U.S. Supreme Court refused to take up the uh, the case where Texas was suing some of the swing states after the election because. The Constitution says if a state is suing 
one or more other states, the U.S. Supreme Court is where that case is going to be heard. And seven of the justices basically said, we don't care what the Constitution says. We're not going to do it. Um, it, it only only Alito and, and Thomas. And, and so, you know, like I say, there have been disappointments, but I don't think we're going to be disappointed on Roe. I don't think so either. I think that, it, you know, on a couple of things, I think one thing that Trump did just briefly on what he did that no other president has done that I thought was really, really good was he didn't just pick blue bloods in the legal world to be on the bench. Yeah. He nominated some people that the ABA, the American Bar Association, would not clear, would not endorse. And so yeah. I, I, um, I think that's good. And I think that if Texas, the Texas case had been brought now, with the with the better evidence that we have, yeah, we might be looking at a different result. But you know, the time that has passed since the twenty twenty election, especially the investigation in Wisconsin, which is way ahead of anyone else's, in my opinion, really shows the the type of uh, the fraud and the evidence, and it would have been more powerful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're speaking with Clint Lan- Lancaster. Clint Lancaster is an attorney from Saline County, Arkansas. Been in practice over 12 years. Was an attorney for uh, for President Trump in the aftermath of the uh, November 2020 presidential election. Uh, is still very much involved in uh, investigating voter integrity or the lack thereof in Wisconsin. Um, and also has uh, been on the other side of the courtroom uh, representing someone who sued... Uh, Hunter Biden, now coming up eventually at some point before today's live stream slash podcast is over, I'm going to talk about why I'm running for governor. Uh, But what I want to talk about next with uh, Clint Lancaster uh, is the Hunter Biden situation. If I may, I just uh, need to say a couple of words about a couple of our sponsors real quick. Sure, I'm looking forward to hearing that. Very good. Very good. Fantastic. All right. We're blessed. When God closed the door for me at local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, not only did some guys gather around me and financially invest in this podcast to make it possible for me to do this, uh, but before too long, we also got some advertisers. And so we're blessed, and we appreciate our advertisers who are supporting us. So let me just say this. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you may have come to the realization that there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. I know people who have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. The freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to, along with a lot of other freedoms, obviously. But you can buy online and Red River Your Way will drive your new vehicle to you no matter where you are, anywhere in the continental United States. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button 
beside it that says Explore Payment Options. You click that button, and that guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically, so you can determine what monthly payments work best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to online. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental United States. RedRiverYourWay.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, now one of the things we talk about on the Doc Washburn Show is the fact that the government tries to jam stuff down our throats, which is exactly what they did in 2009 with Obamacare when Nancy Pelosi said, well, you'll just have to vote for it to find out what's in it. And what we found out, didn't we? Did the so-called Affordable Care Act make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of those, those questions, there's a website you need to go to. It's called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you click on MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you see the big, bold letters, Affordable Plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays, and then the big red button, Schedule Call Now. You click on that button, and you book a free consultation with my friend, Art Wilborn, who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage, and he'll also make sure your personalized health coverage gives you a plan that doesn't force you to cover things like abortion, which would violate your deeply held religious beliefs like some of those Obamacare plans do. Again, the website is MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage. Low to no deductible. No co-pays. Click the button schedule. Call now. You get a free consultation. My buddy, Art Wilborn, will make, make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance. Once again, the website is MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right, we're talking to Clint Lancaster, uh, former president, uh, one of uh, former President Trump's uh, attorneys at one point and still very much involved in voter integrity issues uh, in Wisconsin. Okay, uh, Clint, the first time I saw your name in print um, was press accounts of a young woman who was suing Hunter Biden, um, uh, President Biden's son, uh, for paternity um, and uh, claiming that, look, my, my tri- you're, you are the father of my child. Um, now, I, I don't know what you can tell us about this case, uh, but uh, I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't at least bring it up and, and ask for you to uh, share with my listeners and then eventually, eventually we'll get to the boring subject of why I'm running for governor. Um, but anyway, um, what can you tell us um, about uh, the the case of London Roberts versus Hunter Biden? 
Well, so I and, and I hope I got her name right. Yes, you did, London Roberts. Uh, so Miss Roberts, I'll just start out by saying she's a very, very private person. Um, so she's not in in any of this stuff for attention or fame. Um, she when she came to me, she was just somebody who needed and wanted child support for her child. Yeah, and so really, to me, what the the bigger part of the story was was how the media and everybody, you know kind of just said hey she's a quack she's you know seeking attention uh, but that's not what mr biden's attorney said when i talked to them uh, but they never stopped that narrative that that went out that she was some kind of seedy person she's not she's she's a really great person she's a great mom her parents are great grandparents to her child um so it became a a process of just intense litigation and what we had to do to get Hunter Biden just to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so how did you get Hunter Biden to do the right thing? Well, that's, that's a good question. The, uh, ultimately the way that I have always done my litigation and it's always been successful is, uh, it's a very high stress, high pressure environment. So, sure. and, and it's not really, designed to have like grand slams it's designed to have little victories and um and I, I remember when i was in the marines i was in boot camp and um the drill instructor told me that the united states marines had never won a war i was like oh man i thought i signed up for the greatest fighting force in the world and we've never won a war and he said marines don't win wars marines win battles and if you win the battles the war wins itself oh okay well that yeah that makes sense yeah. sure so and that's kind of how i've always focused my uh my practice on so there's a lot of little battles and there were a lot of little battles the tide really turned after hunter took the dna test and so a lot of people don't know this story but you know nobody would trust each other with a dna test hunters in california miss roberts is in arkansas yeah you know, there's a lot at stake here and so i found a dna laboratory in oklahoma city and they agreed to open for us on a Saturday. And Hunter Biden would show up on Saturday morning, and I would get to watch them take his DNA. And then the child would be produced, and the child's DNA would be taken. And that's what happened. And his attorneys got to watch that. And Yeah, we were all gathered in the same room. Okay, all right. I talked to uh, Mr. Biden's wife, Melissa, when while they were taking his DNA, watched him swab it out of his mouth. And then we stayed in the DNA laboratory basically the entire afternoon. Yeah, we followed that DNA sample around. It was me and um, one of Biden's attorneys, and we knew that it was Biden's kid before Hunter did or President Biden. Yeah, so um, that was kind of an interesting story. The tide really turned after that. As after that DNA test came back out, um, we drove back to Arkansas. My wife and I, and um, my wife's really good at handling complex financial issues, and that was about to be an issue. And so people always want to know, why did Dustin McDaniel withdraw as Hunter's attorney? You know, I was going to ask you because it was Dustin McDaniel and two other attorneys. And it was either Thanksgiving Day or Black Friday. It was very unusual. All of a sudden, out of the blue, judge, 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 we're going to drop this like a hot potato like now. Yep. Well, and I, w- I was going to ask you about that, so I'm 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 flabbergasted. You brought it up first. <laughs> so yes, the reason why. So so Hunter, uh, um, I'm sorry. So we're driving back and and we do this DNA test, and Jennifer Lancaster enters her appearance as an attorney for London Roberts, 
and then two or three days later, Dustin McDaniel and crew withdraw. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you don't know my wife, that's not a coincidence. So Wow. That's, that's my explanation for why Dustin McDaniel withdrew. Um, and then we got his new attorney on board, um, a guy named Brent Langdon from Texarkana, and the, the litigation moved forward. So you and your wife uh, represented London Roberts. That's correct. And we also we, we've always done things as a team. Um, you know, my wife is an instrumental person to, to me in my life and has always been instrumental in my law firm and my law practice. It's really it's Lank. It was before she joined the, the Justice Web at the Supreme Court. It was the Lancaster and Lancaster law firm. And I would tell everybody that she was the first Lancaster. So. Uh, she's she's been really instrumental. She was there with me in the London Roberts case. She was there in the MTV case. She was there in the uh, in the representing President Trump. And the only reason she's not in Wisconsin now is because uh, she feels that her duty to Justice Webb is superior and and something that she owes Justice Webb her full attention on. Okay, so let me let me make sure I understand this because I remember. Again, it was either Thanksgiving Day or Black Friday, which are two days that courts don't tend to be open, that all of a sudden this came down. And it wasn't just Dustin and McDaniel. It was him and two other lawyers saying, hey, judge, we got to drop this immediately. Um, and what didn't make sense to me was that uh, I don't know Dustin McDaniel from, from Adam. I just know he was a former attorney general who was going to run for governor, and then that went sideways. But But – what I do know is that um, a lot of attorneys really like the idea of billable hours, and it's not like uh, Hunter um, wouldn't have the money to continue paying these attorneys. So that's when we all saw this in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, a lot of us were just scratching our heads like, wait a minute, why, why is this high-profile – Liberal attorney who used to be attorney general of the state saying, "Oh, I got to back out of this now." So I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Um, you were already attorney of record for London Roberts, but then when your wife got on the case too, two or three days later, Dustin McDaniel and the other attorneys were like we're out. That's that's correct. They never really told me exactly why they were withdrawing. Um, I know that. There had been some discussion about whether this, if this was his kid, you know, he just needs to pay. Um, and I, you know, Hunter had said that this was not his kid, right? And so for DNA results to come back and show that that was his kid, I don't know. I could only speculate that perhaps that that's repulsive or repugnant to Dustin and Bart. And I can't remember the other lady's name. That she was very nice um, and, and a good lawyer. She was yeah. there with Patrick Binka. Um, she, um, you know, I, maybe that was too much for them. I, I don't know, but in my mind, they withdrew because they were afraid of Jennifer Lancaster. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, okay. She's going to beat them in court. She's going to beat them. However, but they're still getting paid. See, that's the part that didn't. Yeah. That's, you know, and I don't know how their arrangement was. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that law firm has a lot. They were they had a lot going at the time. They were involved in the casino litigation and um, some okay. other things. So I mean, this was uh, this was not. And they're not. You know, Dustin McDaniel is not a domestic relations lawyer. Okay. So this is not something that necessarily he he would handle. Um, on, you don't see him jumping into paternity cases. Okay. So that that that, that 
that's not really his forte. Uh, a lot of lawyers have specialties. You know, real estate lawyers are not trial lawyers and, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, the law is really um, diverse. You can gravitate. I've always been really good in a courtroom and in the litigation. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're fighting over paternity or whatever else. I mean, I just. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, I don't know. I just don't think it's a coincidence that they. Sure. That, that no, I, 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 it's not that I didn't want to give your wife credit. It was just that. That when it was in the newspaper, it was just so odd. And, of course, there was nothing in the newspaper article about the DNA laboratory in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. As a matter of fact, um, has that been printed anywhere, or are you breaking news here on the Doc Washburn Show today? I've told people. I don't think it's been printed, but I have told people in the past that – because it's a unique – I've never – seen how DNA worked. I yeah. mean, it was really, um, you know, if you just sit down with the samples, it's a few hours to, to get it done. Yeah. Uh, but it was really interesting to see. And we had a great lab in the techs in the, in the PhD that was there where it explained the whole process. Um, so yeah, it was, um, that's the first time I've said anything about it to the media that I can remember. Wow. Wow. Well, you never know what kind of news is going to break on the doc Washburn show. Now we found out how Hunter Biden's paternity uh, was established. And I, I'm sure, well, books have been written about Hunter Biden. Um, well, he wrote a book. I don't, I'm told it didn't sell very well. Yeah, I didn't realize he wrote a book. I thought he specialized in um, uh, doing these, quote, paintings, unquote. Yeah. But no, who is it? Uh, somebody has, has a book out in the last two or three uh, months about Hunter Biden. Is it Miranda Devine, I think? Um, and I think there were, I believe there were excerpts from the New York post, but it makes me wonder if all these people writing about him, if anybody realizes, well, here's actually how they determined the DNA, because the only thing we heard in the media was, oops, uh, yeah, it's him. You know, he's the dad, the, 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 you know, the DNA test was, was taken, but not that. Well, here's here you know here was the the compromise because obviously he didn't want to come to Arkansas, and uh, and why would you guys want to go to California? Um, but up until the DNA test in Oklahoma, one of the things I do remember reading in the media was that he seemed to have a cavalier approach to the Arkansas judicial system. Well, and I think that, yes, they did not quite expect someone. And I've always been known as incredibly aggressive. I mean, if you don't do what the judge tells you, you're going to get to look at one of my motions for contempt. And twice in there, I asked the judge to put you in jail. Um, you know, yeah. and, I, and I asked, the, I mean, judges don't like to do that, but I, I sure put it in there. And so, yeah, every time Hunter Biden would not do um do something that he was supposed to do he got to look at one of my motions for contempt and now he's just wanting the thing to go away yeah um and i'm in when i'm like the ricky bobby of the legal world i want (laughs) to go i want to go fast yeah and so we're going fast through this and i'm not giving him a chance to breathe and um every time he turns around he's like well i don't have the money well at one point after dustin had withdrawn i got hunter biden's address it was provided on a, a document provided by George Mazaris. And once I had that address, I went to Zillow and I ripped off every single picture 
of this uh, house that he was living in, overlooking Hollywood. You could see the Griffith Observatory, the Hollywood sign. I mean, I, I had what Zillow estimated its monthly payment to be. He had did an ABC News interview, and they had this uh, really unique clock up on the dash. So I, I emailed a friend of mine or texted a friend of mine, what kind of car is this? What's well, a Porsche Panamera? And that's wow. a new model. So wow. I had that, and I mean – he was sitting here trying to tell me that he was he was broke, and I'm like, well, let's talk about your house and your car, and yeah, and so and so I never really got to do that, but I did. Um, you know, those were the kind of things that I had lined up and ready to go, and so I uh, I had we put a, every everything we spared, no expense. We had forensic accountants involved in the case from Frost a firm here in Little Rock, and they did a great job, and they were prepared to be present at the deposition. Wow. Wow. Um, so who, who – forgive my ignorance because I, I should know this name. Who's George Mazaris? George Mazaris is a lawyer from Chicago. He is Hunter Biden's personal lawyer. Okay. Um, he spells his last name, I think, M-E-S-I-R-E-S. Um, he knew Hunter from Chicago and – um, when, when, once we filed, you know, I got a call from George Mazaris and I'm like, well, how do I know you're really George Mazaris and not, um, somebody in the media. And, um, so then he, he extra- explained to me where I could look and verify that. And then I began, yep, that's him. Uh, then I, uh, you're just so you know, doc is pulling up a, the web, the Google of George Mazaris. So, yeah. um, that, so that's, a that's how I knew. And, and yeah, he's Hunter Biden's personal attorney. George R. Mazaris, partner at Fager, Drinker, Biddle, and Wreath, LLP. And I know I mispronounced at least one of those names. Yeah, it's a big law firm out of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I guess one question would be, so Ms. Roberts is from Batesville. You're in Saline County. Um, that's like the other side of the state. How does she even find you? Well, I'll make a long story really short. Um, my wife had Jennifer, like I've explained to everybody, she's very instrumental. She had me represent somebody. She had, had done something that caused me to be able to represent someone who knew and was uh, closely related to Miss Roberts. Okay. And I did, unfortunately, I did a good job in that case. And, um, and now that those people re- recommended London to me. And okay. that's how I met her. And you know, and in 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 many different uh, areas of law, that's a lot of times how people uh, retain counsel, whether it's for a paternity case or a, an insurance case or a real estate case or whatever, uh, because most people aren't dealing with lawyers on a regular basis. So you you know you talk to close friends, family, whoever. And uh, you know what? You, you you ought to at least talk to this guy. And then that's how it goes. That's, that is generally how it goes. It's shifting on the personal injury side as uh, rainwater. And, you know, I think um, – is Justin Minton one of your sponsors? Yeah, Justin Minton. Good guy. Yeah, so I've known Justin, and he is a great guy. Um, I'm, I went to high school with his wife, know his family. But, you know, you've seen a lot of Justin's billboards around, and he does a great job. I, I've actually used him on and consulted with him on some of my cases. And I got friends at Rainwater, but I, I like the fact that Justin is a, um, you know, he's a he's a smaller law firm, and you get a, I feel like you get more personal attention from Justin. Oh yeah. So, um, but you know, you can see where Justin is heavily advertising and marketing because the the scheme of advertising for personal injury clients 
has changed. And I, I think Justin, what he's doing is he's letting you know he's out there, but you get like this type of rainwater marketing with a type of personal touch and attention from the, from Justin Minton and his people. You know, that's a perfect lead-in. Uh, we may as well, while we're here, uh, mention, <clears throat> pardon me, my good friend Justin Minton. And I always say, Minton and Benton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton. Justin is a former insurance adjuster. He left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies, corporations, and he really helped me out when I was in two automobile accidents back in 2019. Matter of fact, he's helping me out with the, uh, once again, December 17th, 2021, when I was rear-ended and my car was totaled on Colonel Glenn Road in Little Rock, Arkansas. So this is the third. But the Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who've been injured and need somebody to stand up for them, just like he did for me. So no matter what the injury, if you're in the state of Arkansas, Justin Minton is the attorney you want to talk to. He makes sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt on the job, or you are a loved one suffering from the carelessness of another, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. So, uh, And I want to preface that Doc didn't put me up to say this about Justin. I, I've happened, I happen to know Justin, and yeah. I do agree with what you said, Doc. If, you don't, if your lawyer's not trying cases, they're not getting the same type of respect from the insurance adjusters. And so there's a benefit and a value there. So I uh, you know, wasn't put up to say that. That's just my honest opinion. No, that was, uh, that was great timing. It was a great lead-in. And, um, no, I, uh, I didn't put you up to, uh, to saying that at all. But, uh, you know, once, once you mention him, I'm like, well, I got to, you know, I got to give Justin a plug before, I, you know, before this uh, conflagration is over today anyway. So may as well do it now. Absolutely. Um, so the Hunter Biden situation, um, and, again, I'm just – I was flabbergasted that you brought up the attorneys on the other side dropping out like suddenly because that was something I was going to bring up. Is Hunter has been in the media a lot. And um, shortly before the election, uh, the New York Post um, did some stories about uh, – the laptop that he allegedly left at a uh, at a computer shop in Wilmington, Delaware, um, and social media shut them down. Twitter, I think even Facebook is like, no, you can't do this. Um, the Biden campaign said it was uh, Russian disinformation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, did... Does his notoriety, um, the laptop, and what's out there about the laptop, um, is that something that 
that you can even comment on? Or is that kind of like, okay, that's kind of like a parallel universe, which has nothing to do with, you know, you know, my, uh, uh, representing my client. Well, you know, it's, it is somewhat of a parallel universe. And from the moment I got involved in the case with Miss Roberts, I felt like I was trapped in a John Grisham novel that I couldn't get out of. Oh my. And so, I mean, I even, <laughs> I even, I remember I got a call one day from a, a panicking New York or Washington Post uh, reporter who said, are you listening to this radio show? Tom, Tom Cotton, <clears throat> Senator Cotton is, uh, is blaming your client, uh, blaming the crimes of the president on your client. And I said, well, which president? And he didn't know what to say. He said, Trump. I said, I don't think that's going to happen. But, yeah, every time Hunter would do something, whether it was the New Yorker article or the ABC interview, we probably got over 200 phone calls every day. Oh, my. Uh, just from the media wanting to know if we had a comment. And one of the things that I always was offended about that Judge Don McSpadden did was when we were up there at a hearing, I had filed a petition for attorney's fees asking that the judge order that Mr. Biden make a preliminary payment of attorney's fees. Yeah. And Ju Judge McSpadden told me that I was not going to get paid for talking to the media because that didn't that didn't benefit anyone but me. And I, I, I was really offended by that because every time he Hunter Biden said something, he said, I, that's not my kid. I don't know that person. You know, if he said my dad is going to be president – I got 200 phone calls that I yeah. had to answer yeah. unless we lose control of the media narrative. You know, that's, that was, there was a lot of media that went on in that situation. And I was very grateful to uh, Frank Lockwood at the Democrat Gazette, who was, uh, who was always very fair with me when it came to reporting. Well, that's good. That's good. Cause, uh, uh, it's good to know. It's good to give credit where it's due because a lot of times reporters are not fair. That's right. reporting. And, and Frank was good. He was he was good to us. And so um, that made establishing that relationship, we knew we had someone we could trust. So let me make sure I understand something here because I don't think I do. A panicky Washington Post reporter calls you, U.S. Senator Tom Cotton, junior senator uh, from Arkansas, was on some radio talk show blaming your client for what? The crimes of the president. The crimes – that's what he said. He said, are you listening? Are you listening? Tom Cotton's on the Hugh Hewlett show. And he's 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 blaming the crimes of the president on your client. And I said, which president? He goes, ah, that President Trump. And I said, I don't think that's happening, but thank you for your call. It doesn't sound like something Tom Cotton would say. I don't think so. I went back. So that was another thing I had to do is I had to go back and listen to the Hugh Hewitt show and listen to Senator Cotton to see if I had to properly address that or that's something I should be concerned about. But, you know, when you, you know, you're talking about billable hours and that's all a lawyer has to charge is his time, his or her time for the most part. Yeah. You know, if I got to listen to and I don't I mean, I don't listen to the Hugh Hewitt show. I had to Google who the guy was. Yeah. And so but now I got to listen to it because someone tells me that a senator is blaming my crimes of a president in the middle of a paternity case on my kid. I don't think that's accurate, but I'm also not going to blow it off. So when you went back and listened, obviously that's not what Tom Cotton did. No. So did you call the Washington Post reporter back and say, what are you doing? No, because that's uh, he wants to talk to me. And, I, I mean, he wanted me to talk about the case, and he wanted to create a relationship so that I could feed him information. And once I realized that he was – Full of it, I there was no one. I wasn't talking to him anymore. 
And that's, by the way, that is a legal term that, that they, they learn. I think it's, it's in, the, in Blackstone's uh, full of it. Is a, well, there's some more to it. That's not the Latin. <laughs> I didn't think so. so. So Circuit Court Judge Don McSpadden tells you that you're not going to get paid. That's what he said. Because um, as far as he's concerned, you're a media hound. Uh, as if you can do anything about the fact that your phone keeps ringing off the hook. But I notice here when I uh, did a little internet search for his name, um, he eventually recused himself from the uh, Hunter Biden paternity case. Now, what, what was the deal there? So, Judge McSpadden did recuse, and I made a deal with um, Judge McSpadden and um, Brent Langdon. And that deal was that if Judge McSpadden recused, I would not mention anything about it. Uh, I would not discuss anything that led up to that or okay. why he recused. And so I'm going to honor that statement sure. that I made. And Brent Langdon is um, who? He was uh, Hunter Biden's new attorney after Dustin McGee. Oh, that's right. The guy from Texarkana that you said. And yeah, and I want to be I want to be completely honest. Uh, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm I'm not telling everything. I have only told one other person, well, three other persons, about the reasons why Judge McSpadden recused, and that was an assistant U.S. attorney from the District of Delaware, an yeah. FBI agent, and yeah. an IRS enforcement agent. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you talk to the FBI every once in a while? Not, uh, it's kind of rare. <laughs> okay. All right. So, because I've always heard, don't ever talk to an FBI agent unless your attorney is with you. But you are an attorney. So, well, I know that I haven't committed any crimes. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, but they frame people sometimes. I'm just well, saying. I do agree. I remember what was it you said last night? How do we get Flynn to lie, <laughs> General Flynn, and that kind of stuff? So, but I, I felt confident going in. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware was very professional. Um, they were, they were good, and um, I, I had trust in them, and I, I knew what they wanted to talk about, and I was confident that I, you know, they, they were very clear. Don't lie. And I was like, well, not going to happen. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, of course not. So that's why not. I wanted to clear that up with you. I didn't want to say I had completely and fully honored that when um, that would not be an accurate statement. Yeah, no, uh, understandably. And, and again, um, there are things which, um, you know, attorneys can talk about. There are things which attorneys cannot talk about uh, for perfectly valid reasons. Um, there are situations with journalists, and Lord knows I'm no journalist. I'm a, a washed-up DJ impersonating a talk show host. Y'all don't let that get out, okay? Um, but that's just between us. That doesn't leave these four walls. Uh, but anyway, um, there are things when when, when journalists are, are said told something off the record, well, it's off the record, you know. And so in, in, in that sense, you know, I – Sometimes impersonated journalist, you know, some off the record, off the record. I, I, I was telling um, Attorney Lancaster before I started the show here, I've been doing, I did talk radio for a long time. And there have been situations in my past when someone was actually arrested for something pretty serious. And the person would want to come on my show and clear the air and say, look, you know, I, in the court of public opinion, you know. Uh, I, I need to get this out there. And I would say, well, look, you you got a pretty high-profile case here in the local news, and uh, but I just can't in good conscience go, oh, that would give me some ratings. Sure, come on on my show. 
talk to your lawyer, and if your lawyer thinks it's a good idea for you to come on with your lawyer, or if your lawyer thinks it would be a good idea for, you know, him to come on and talk about your case, then fine, but, you know, I can't just have you come on and then your lawyer finds out later, why'd you go on that talk show, man? You know, yeah. because anything you say can and will be held against you. Um, so anyway, um, you know, we, we, we try to, uh, to do the right thing morally. Um, and, and I know you do too. Um, is there anything else that, uh, that my listeners, because, you know, somewhere between 65 and 70% of our listeners on any, uh, given day are from outside of Arkansas. Um, and of course, even though Arkansas is our, our, our number one state for, for listeners, are there any misconceptions about the paternity case against Hunter Biden? Are there any misconceptions about him, about your client, uh, that you would like to address before, uh, we wrap things up? I mean, I could sit here all day and talk about Hunter Biden in that case and what misconceptions are. Um, yeah. And some of that stuff, you know, is to clear that air. That's not my position. That's Miss Roberts. Yeah. But I will say that at one point I got a phone call from like the New York Daily Mail or somebody like a, a, a tabloid that said, well, you we have reports that Miss Roberts was a stripper. Will you deny that? And I said, well, how in the heck did this case ever become about whether a woman was a stripper or was not a stripper. We've got a DNA test. It's his kid. If I comment about whether she's a stripper or not a stripper or was or was not, then suddenly this case becomes about, you know, something that is completely extraneous. And I absolutely, I felt that was very demeaning that the media would, regardless, I mean, I never heard of somebody named Dallas. My client was not a stripper. Um, I don't believe in any of that stuff. Um, and I mean, I actually had a call with Brent Langdon, Biden's attorney about it one day and he goes, man, was your client really a stripper? I said, well, you know, Brent, those news articles says that your client was going out and buying new dildos for strippers to use on him at a strip club. Do you believe that? And he said, no. And that's kind of where it ended. Wow. But I mean, yeah, I I always felt like that was unfair to Miss Roberts. She's you, we had a, we were in a tough position about, do we address it? Do we not address it? And so we made a policy that if you had printed that my client was a stripper, you would not get a comment. Yeah. And um, I, Fox News called and wanted a comment. I said, nope, you put that she was a stripper. And they then Breitbart called and wanted a comment. I said, nope, you printed that she was a stripper. Yeah. And so um, the news are, the news organizations that did it honorably got comments from us because it should have never been about that to begin with. Yeah. And I've always felt like that was a misconception that should be cleared up. No, and I appreciate you clearing that up today. I, I really do. I mean, uh, it, it was also printed that that she was in college in, in the Washington D.C. area. That, that's true. She was in college in Washington D.C. <clears throat> Odd, they didn't ask if she'd ever worked at a FedEx or an Arby's. Exactly. They didn't ask anything like that, or you know, um, I think it was put in the pleadings that you know she initially met Hunter. She was employed by Hunter Biden. That I mean, so. But somehow or other, they assume, I guess, that Hunter would just employ a stripper to work for him. I, I don't know. It became about a smear campaign for a woman like London Roberts, who comes from a good family, 
who, uh, you know, her dad is Rob Roberts and the Rob Roberts gun works. I mean, these are not that this wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to her. But we when you deal with something as massive and uncontrollable as the media, um, you got to handle that carefully. You know, I'd forgotten about that because of everything that I've read. I think there was one article that said that she was actually on the pay- payroll. Can you uh, address that at all? Or yes, yeah, she was. She was. Uh, she worked for Hunter Biden. She was on the payroll. Was she like a bookkeeper or a receptionist? Or I think the best way to characterize it would be executive assistant. Okay. Um, so sure. You know that would. That's how they. That's yeah. That would be the best way to characterize it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that you know, reading Hunter Biden's book about his relationship with her, what he said that wasn't accurate. They knew each other. George Mazzara said, you know, one of the first thing he says, I said, you'll call Hunter and tell and see what he says. He calls me back and says, yeah, yeah, he knows her. It wasn't like, I think I met her in a strip club and we were high and, you know, no, that's not what they said. Yeah. So interesting that sometimes people say one thing uh, for public consumption and then off the record. Say something entirely different. It kind of kind of reminds me of some of those uh, Democrats there in the U.S. House who said for years that they had evidence that Trump colluded with uh, with Putin and Russia to steal the 2016 election, and then under oath behind closed doors, they're like, "No, nah, we got nothing." I mean, it's funny what people will say for attention. I um, if I think that if more people would just say and do the right things. The United States and the world would be a better place. Amen. 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 You know, um, the ninth commandment, uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You know, um, and uh, uh, people sometimes would try to uh, skirt around that. Well, who is my neighbor? You know, <laughs> yeah. but but that's that's pretty clear. That's I think pretty Jesus clear. cleared that up, or he did, or Paul did, one or the other, about who your neighbor is. That should yeah. be a mystery. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I tell you what. Um, sorry, I got choked up there for a second. Uh, Clint Lancaster, um, attorney par excellence, and uh, Jennifer Lancaster, attorney par excellence. Uh, I appreciate your wife uh, allowing me to be one of the speakers at the uh, Saline County uh, Republican Women's Club last night, and I appreciate you coming to the Doc Washburn Show today and uh, and sharing a lot of information. Uh, first of all, about voter integrity and potential and possible voter fraud in one of the swing states, Wisconsin, in which you have been very involved in and continue to be involved in. And I also appreciate you um, uh, being quite forthcoming about the. Uh, uh, about the case in which you uh, represented uh, London Roberts, um, uh, who, who successfully sued Hunter Biden uh, for paternity, and and sharing some uh, some information that I think probably hardly any of my listeners have ever heard before. Probably not. These are things I've just told other people that yeah, you know, they're not big secrets, but you know. I, I've I've turned down opportunities to be paid for things to do like this, but um, you know, you wanted me to come in and 
talk about election integrity in Wisconsin, which is something I'm passionate about. I sure. appreciate you having me. So sure. I'm happy to sure. answer your questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I made sure before we started the show today, is it okay if we talk about this case too? And, and you're like, fine. And, and so, um, I, I really appreciate you coming on the program today. Um, tell you what, um, hang on a second. I've got to, I've got to grab something here to play. <laughs> we do the show on a wing and a prayer. Sometimes we certainly do. Um, yeah, I should have had I should have had this probably already ready to go, uh, but yeah, here we go. All right, fantastic. Let's uh, let's roll one of these. You're listening to the Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. You can now listen live weekdays, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time at DocWashburnShow.com. Podcast available at DocWashburnShow.com and for download at Spotify, iTunes, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. We are on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, that's a, that's a little uh, line of demarcation. Uh, look, before I get to um, why I am running for governor, because this is, no, this is no joke. This is no joke. Uh, there, there, there are a couple of things that I, I need to do, uh, one of which one of which is to tell you about the best-kept secret in American health care. And so let me just ask you something. Do you have migraines? Do you have neck pain? Do you have back pain? Do you have vertigo? Okay, now look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Okay. Look at a picture of yourself. Do you naturally lean to the left or lean to the right? If you do, has it ever occurred to you that that's not natural? When somebody takes a picture of you, it would be natural for you to sit up straight or stand up straight. It's not natural that your eyes would be off balance, that one would look bigger than the other, that your shoulders would be off balance. I'm getting ready to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare, And it's all about the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or the C1. See, your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds, and your skull rests on that atlas bone the top bone of your spinal column, which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. And if your atlas, that top bone of your spinal column, gets out of alignment, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, which tends to restrict your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body the way God designed it to work. And it can affect your respiratory system, your reproductive system, your circulatory system, even your digestive system. And, yes, it can cause migraines and neck pain and vertigo. Now, 
If you are in central Arkansas, it's real easy what to do about it. Do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center at 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. They'll take x-rays. They'll show you what it looks like. Now, if you're outside central Arkansas and you're like, man, this sounds like a real thing. It is a real thing. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website. It's called turnmypoweron.com. And you click on the little tab that says find a doctor so you can find a doctor near you. Okay? Now, that having been said, before I get to why I'm running for governor, I got to do this. This is this is so much fun. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day is brought to you by Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. The believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online and have it delivered to you anywhere in the continental United States of America. Today's tweet of the day. Today's tweet of the day. First, I've got to give you the foundation for today's tweet of the day. Guy named Graham Muma, who covers Virginia politics, and he's a policy reporter for a newspaper in Virginia, says four days ago, Virginia Democrats were dunking on the new governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, for a legal setback in his push to end the school mask mandate. Today, almost half the Democrats in the Senate voted to advance legislation that basically does the same thing. He says there are obviously some differences between doing it via executive action and through the legislature, and Democrats are still faulting the governor for doing his executive order at the height of the Omicron surge, but it's basically two different paths to the same outcome. Okay? Now, the actual tweet of the day is the wonderful Mary Catherine Hamm conservative commentator who says it's been a big couple of days for changing science. And the point she's alluding to here is we've been told for two years, the science is settled. And now that the polling for Democrats leading up to the midterm elections is so horrible. The same people who've been telling us for almost two years the science is settled. They're now telling us, well, the science is changing. So that, that, my friend, that is today's Tweet of the Day, brought to you by Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the United States that believes in freedom, including your freedom, to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV 
of your choice and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States. All right, now, this thing about running for governor. I guess the best way to explain it would be to tell you what I told the folks at the Saline County Republican Women's Club of Arkansas last night when I told them that I'm running for governor. So what I told them was, after I'd been here for a few years, every once in a while, a caller would, to my local talk radio show, would say something like, Hey, Doc, I've been listening to you since you first got here. And the first time I heard you, I figured they probably run you off pretty soon. I sure am glad you're still here. And I always appreciated that kind of feedback. But all good things must come to an end. Leading up to the 2020 election, a lot of my callers to my local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas, were really worried in the lead-up to that election that the Democrats are going to steal it away from President Trump. And I tried to reassure them. I would say, look, to steal an election has to be pretty close in the first place. And it's not going to be close. But we all saw what happened. Trump was so popular, there were impromptu Trump motorcades in deep blue areas like Beverly Hills and New York City. On the other hand, Obama himself would campaign for Biden and hardly anybody would show up. So on election night, I was watching the returns of Fox News and a funny thing happened. And again, I'm going to get to why I'm running for governor. But on election night, I was watching the returns on Fox News and a funny thing happened. All five swing states stopped counting the votes at the same time. So we woke up the next morning to find Trump trailing in states he had healthy leads in the night before. All the Republican poll watchers were sent home from State Farm Arena in Atlanta due to a broken water main. But there wasn't a broken water main. But there's certainly a lot of suitcases of ballots hauled out from under tables after all the GOP folks were sent home. I remember seeing President Trump's lawyers show up at a ballot counting center in Philadelphia with a court order a few days later. The court ordered they be let in. But the election commission defied the court order and put up cardboard to cover the windows. They put cardboard up over the windows where they're counting the votes in Detroit, Michigan, too. I don't know if you heard about this, because no one on Fox News will even talk about it. But the Maricopa County, Arizona audit came out a few months ago. And they found way more fraudulent Biden ballots than the margin of victory over Trump in just that one county. The sheriff of Racine County, Wisconsin, has also identified widespread voter fraud in that state. Now, maybe if President Trump hadn't listened to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and allowed them to shut the country down over a virus with a 99.8% survival rate, some of these states would not have been able to use the China virus as an excuse to institute universal mail-in balloting with unmanned drop boxes, but he did. And they did. 
So the fraud was baked into the system in a number of states. We saw the election being stolen in real time. The Saturday morning after the election, Fox News called it for Biden and Rupert Murdoch's daughter-in-law went on Twitter and announced, we did it. Then January 6th happened. There's a lot of video online of a big guy named Ray Epps the night before January 6th and, frankly, the day of January 6th, insisting the patriotic Trump supporters must get into the Capitol. There's even video of people chanting, Fed, 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 at him the night before because it's obvious he's a federal asset. But for all the hundreds of people arrested for nonviolent misdemeanors and all the folks denied bail for the better part of a year, the feds still haven't arrested this chief instigator, Ray Epps, and they know who he is and they know where he is. He even spoke to that little uh, sham January 6th committee recently. Don't know if it's under oath, but we do know that they're not going to let us know what he said. So, on January 6, 2021, the Corporate Vice President of Programming for Cumulus Media sent out a memo to all their program directors. From that day forward, any on-air personality used phrases like stolen election or stop the steal would be terminated immediately. That memo put me in a lot of other talk radio hosts who work for Cumulus in a real bind. We knew the election was stolen. Our listeners knew the election was stolen. But we're no longer allowed to say it on pain of losing our jobs. A few months later, NBC News and CBS News both reported on what they call breakthrough cases of vaccinated people getting the woo flu. All of a sudden, there was another emergency memo from Cumulus Corporate telling all their talk radio program directors to make sure their talk show hosts didn't say anything to cast aspersions on the vaccines. Oh, no, no, no. The vaccines are safe and effective. Don't mention the possibility that people could still get the Rona after they were fully vaccinated. But then a few weeks later, the CDC director said it's no surprise tens of thousands of fully vaccinated people in this country got COVID anyway, and fully vaccinated people who get COVID can easily transmit it to other people. Other people. So I reported what she said, wondering if I'd have been fired if I'd said it the day earlier. Well, Cumulus, Cumulus Media finally figured out how to get rid of me and people like me. On August 11th, the CEO announced she was angry with anyone who wasn't vaccinated yet. And everyone who everyone had two months to get fully vaccinated or be fired. They rejected my religious exemption and ignore my request to just keep doing the show from home. But when the Lord closes one door, he opens another. Four days after my last show at KRN, we launched my new live stream and podcast at docwashburnshow.com. We have over 150,000 downloads after just 83 episodes, and we have advertisers. So I still do a show every day, but people say they enjoy it more than my old radio show because I'm unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now I want to talk to you about your congressman, this is what I told the folks last night. 
the congressman in the 2nd District of Arkansas. If you believe President Trump's suggesting a landslide victory in a stolen election was a post-election fiction and folly, you should vote for French Hill in the primary in May because that's what he said. If you believe what happened at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th was an attack and President Trump's rhetoric in the days leading up to it was unforgivable, French Hill's your guy because that's what he said. If you agree that Liz Cheney should have remained in Republican House leadership even after she voted to impeach Trump because she's an outstanding conservative, vote for French Hill May 24th because that's what he said. If you agreed with French Hill's vote to cooperate with the Democrats in setting up a commission to investigate what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, French is your guy. If you agree with French Hill's recent vote to give over $400 million to the CDC to make it easier for the feds and the state governments to track our vaccination status in real time. Hey, I've read the bill. That's what it does. Then vote for French Hill in the primary May 24th. Finally, if you agree that our U.S. representative from the 2nd District of Arkansas should continue his silence about the Biden Justice Department's political persecution of hundreds of Trump supporters locked up in jail, on nonviolent misdemeanor charges, some of whom are denied bail for over a year, simply because they're Trump supporters, by all means, vote for French Hill in the primary. I happen to disagree with him on all those points. So I plan to vote for Conrad Reynolds. His website is electconrad.com. And you're going to hear from him momentarily. Now, I mentioned Liz Cheney. Recently, the Republican Party of Wyoming voted to no longer recognize her as a Republican. They criticized Liz Cheney for repeatedly rebuking former President Trump, as well as for not attending county GOP committee meetings. Now, criticizing the former president and failing to attend county Republican meetings is enough to get an elected Republican kicked out of the party. I think we have a much bigger elephant in the living room to address, no pun intended. Last April, Arkansas State Representative Robin Lundstrom and Arkansas State Senator Alan Clark did a wonderful thing. They sponsored something called the SAFE Act. It stands for Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. Now, it was a wonderful bill, but it's a bit of a misnomer because it was also designed to save much younger children than adolescents from being chemically castrated. Dr. Natalie Burr of the Little Rock Pediatric Clinic testified against the bill, as did many other medical so-called experts. When questioned, she said four years old was not too young for a child to know he or she was assigned the wrong gender and to start the process of counseling to change it. Anyway... The bill passed the Arkansas Senate and Arkansas House overwhelmingly. Of course, not one Democrat voted for it. Not surprisingly, the party of abortion was not interested in protecting children. But then an odd thing happened. Our so-called Republican governor, Asa Hutchinson, stood with the Democrats 
and vetoed the bill to protect children from sterilization. He went on Tucker Carlson's Fox News show and, when asked, insisted that no one from Walmart or Tyson had called him to urge him to veto the bill. Tucker presented him what research is available that when minor children get these so-called gender reassignment surgeries, whether surgical or chemical, the suicide rates go through the roof. Arkansas Governor Ace Hutchinson was clearly unfamiliar with the research and uninterested in it. But he assured Tucker Carlson, nobody from Walmart or Tyson or any big corporations in Arkansas called him to urge him to veto the bill. The next night, Tucker Carlson played video of Asa Hutchinson, governor of Arkansas, from a few days earlier, saying we have multinational corporations based in Arkansas who are very concerned about this bill. Tucker looked into the camera and said, so he lied to us. I think what Governor Asa Hutchinson did of vetoing that bill, which, thank God, our legislature overrode his veto, is much worse than anything Liz Cheney ever did. I don't know about you, but I believe the Republican Party of Arkansas should disown Governor Asa Hutchinson for that alone. Speaking of Governor Hutchinson, for my listeners in Arkansas, for the folks I talked to last night at the Saline County Republican Women's Club, do you remember the COVID-19 town hall he did a while back at Siloam Springs? When I said that last night, I had a lot of people in the audience say, yes, I do. People were yelling at the governor because they had loved ones who'd gone to the hospital with COVID and they weren't given anything for it. No therapeutics, no nothing. Well, Aza begged to differ. He told the folks, of course the hospitals are giving COVID sufferers therapeutics. He turned to a hospital administrator standing there with him and said, right? The hospital administrator said loudly and clearly, not presently, sir. Aza pretended like he didn't hear what he said. What was that? So the hospitals are killing people. I interviewed Dr. Greg Bledsoe. Surgeon General of Arkansas, who serves at the pleasure of the governor. He's actually running for lieutenant governor. I asked him if he would please use his bully pulpit as the Arkansas Surgeon General to urge doctors and health care facilities to actually treat COVID patients. He refused. He told me and my listeners, doctors in Arkansas are really sharp. Hospitals are doing a great job, and they certainly aren't sitting around waiting to hear what he has to say about treating patients for COVID. That was alarming. I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't share with you a story from my own family. A few months ago, my son Andy in Florida texted me he had COVID and he hadn't been able to eat solid food in five days. I was alarmed. My wife was crying. I called our family doctor down in Panama City, Florida, a wonderful guy named Daniel Dobby. He has a practice down there called Gulf Coast Facial Plastics. Dr. Dalby prescribed hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and a steroid. The CVS pharmacy in Niceville, Florida, slow-walked it for almost a full day. By the time Andy started getting the meds in his system, he was gasping for air. I think we may have almost lost him. 
but he gradually started getting better, and he's fine now. On the other hand, a friend of our family in Arkansas, a family law attorney, went to a large hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas, a few few months ago, tested positive for COVID, was sent home with no treatment, got much worse. Her daughter took her back three or four days later. She was told she had missed the what they call the three-day window for treatment, whatever that means. They admitted her into the hospital, eventually put her on a ventilator, and three weeks later, she was dead. Now, why do hospitals do that? Why do they refuse to treat patients for COVID? Why did UAMS, the University of Arkansas Medical System, plant stories with local TV stations news operations in Little Rock, Arkansas, that ivermectin is horse-paced and people shouldn't take it when they know good and well that the people who developed ivermectin got a Nobel Prize for the human version that has helped millions of human beings just a few years ago. A couple of months ago, a guy named Dr. Mace Rothenberg former chief medical officer for Pfizer, was on the Washington Journal program on C-SPAN, and he said, and I quote, let me make it clear that when we're talking about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, there have been no deaths that have been reported to have occurred directly as a result of the vaccine and the vaccine alone. There have been deaths reported with other vaccines, and and they're now beginning to look into the reasons for this, but I think that that really needs to be clarified, unquote. Well, that was a stunning admission. He said vaccines other than the Pfizer one have actually killed people. If you haven't heard about this, may I suggest perhaps you're getting your news from the wrong place. I still do a show every day, and I don't ever want you to think, hey, Doc, why didn't you tell us? All you have to do is go to docwashburnshow.com to listen live or download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts already. As more and more evidence trickles out about dangerous side effects of the vaccines, about dangerous side effects of the mask mandates for that matter, I'm reminded of the words of the great Christian author C.S. Lewis who said, of all tyrannies, A tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience." This very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be so-called cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on a level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will. To be classified with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals, unquote. So wasn't that Governor Aza Hutchinson of Arkansas, 
Wasn't that what he was doing when he ordered businesses to close in the height of the China virus hysteria? Wasn't that what he was doing when he ordered small mom-and-pop restaurants to make their customers wear masks until they ordered their drinks? Oh, and made bars close at 10 p.m.? Because apparently the Wu flu was nocturnal. Let me tell you something. If you're going to tell me that I can have a deadly disease, even though I never develop symptoms for it, but I can infect somebody else with it, so I better wear a mask, there's never going to be a reason to take that mask off. Now, I'm getting to why I'm running for governor. And I'm serious as a heart attack about this. I first mixed it up with Governor Hutchinson over the child welfare system in Arkansas. Shortly after I got to Arkansas, the Garland County Sheriff's Office, Arkansas State Police, Crimes Against Children Division, and Division of Children and Family Services descended on a Christian homeschooling family, Hal and Michelle Stanley of Hot Springs, and took their seven minor children away from them. They hadn't done anything wrong, but their oldest boy was tired of being homeschooled, and he lied to the authorities, and the authorities bought it. I was one of a lot of people in Arkansas who tried to get Governor Ace Hutchinson's attention to help these folks, but he wouldn't lift a finger, and it took months for them to get their children back. In the meantime, the governor's wife went to a benefit luncheon at the Child Advocacy Center in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and gave the state police investigator who made the call to kidnap the children the Superhero of the Year Award. Then there was Clarence Gerritsen, a long-haul trucker out of Van Buren, Arkansas. He and his wife were foster parents. Problem was, Clarence liked to sexually abuse the foster children. Some of them complained to the Division of Children and Family Services about it. Those complaints began when Mike Huckabee was governor. They continued through Mike Beebe's terms as governor and into Asa Hutchinson's first term as governor. But the the DCFS, the Division of Children and Family Services, kept sending children to this known sexual abuser, this known pedophile. They didn't do a thing about it. Finally, after years of abuse, the Van Buren County, Arkansas sheriff found out about it, realized that this Clarence Gerritsen was a long-haul trucker and was taking children across state lines to sexually abuse them. He turned it over to the FBI. And Clarence Gerritsen went to prison for the rest of his life. Now, when Governor Hutchinson was running for re-election, he came on my local talk radio show in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I confronted him about it. Not that the governor would necessarily know about a specific case like that. Nobody expected that. But I confronted him about the DCFS employees, some of whom still worked for that agency under him, who aided and abetted Clarence Garrettson's rapes and should be held accountable. Governor Hutchinson assured me he was confident that anyone who had done anything like that had already definitely been held accountable. I assured him the FBI agent's affidavit insisted that no, no one was held accountable. Eventually, there was a lawsuit, and unfortunately, the judge ruled that the statute of limitations had run. 
So why am I going on and on about a lame duck governor who is leaving office in less than a year and despite his fondest dreams will not be the president of the United States? Well, again, I'm sharing with you, my listeners, what I shared with the the Saline County Republican Women's Club meeting last night. I'll tell you, by all accounts, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is going to be our next governor. She's the only person who has announced in the Republican primary, and whoever the Republican nominee is, is going to be the next governor. Now, I think we're all proud of the job that Sarah did trying to defend President Trump as White House press secretary. I did notice he finally ordered her to stop doing daily press briefings. And as soon as he replaced her with Kaylee McEnany, the press briefings continued. But no matter. President Trump really likes Sarah. He suggests that she run for governor of Arkansas. And I think a lot of us were intrigued by that possibility. People would call my local talk radio show and say they weren't too crazy about former Governor Mike Huckabee. They didn't think he was conservative enough for them. But they were really excited about his daughter, Sarah, running for governor because she was on the Trump team. She was on because she was on the Trump team. So I just filed that away. But recently I've noticed something. Recently, Sarah endorsed John Bozeman, Senator John Bozeman for re-election. And she got hundreds of furious comments on her Facebook posts. People saying, no, Sarah, no, we don't want a rhino who votes every year to fund Planned Parenthood. We want a true American patriot. We want Jan Morgan for senator, not John Bozeman. No, Sarah, what are you doing? Then she endorsed her old family friend, U.S. Representative French Hill for re-election, who, as I mentioned earlier, never misses an opportunity to stab Trump and us in the back. Once again, hundreds of outraged Facebook messages. People saying, Sarah, no, what are you doing? We want to get rid of the rhino French Hill. We want Conrad Reynolds. I mean, over 99%, I'm not exaggerating, over 99% of the responses on French Hill were very negative. And a number of people saying, said, you just lost my vote, Sarah. I can't vote for you if you're going to endorse these rhinos. And when Sarah Huckabee Sanders accepted Asa Hutchinson's endorsement, she talked about what a great job he has done. Now, I'm really concerned. I don't think you can be in touch with this state and believe that Asa Hutchinson has done a good job as governor. He vetoed the bill that would criminalize sterilizing children. Our taxes are too high. Our foster care system is rife with abuse. As a matter of fact, we have a $1.2 billion, with a B, dollar tax surplus in Arkansas because we're overtaxed. That continues to keep us at a disadvantage with our neighboring states. And what does Sarah plan to do about the challenges that we face as a state? Does it bother her how much farmland Bill Gates has bought in the state of Arkansas? Do Governor Hutchinson's deep ties with the Chinese Communist government concern her? For that matter, since she endorsed French Hill, does that mean she agrees with him that the election wasn't stolen from Donald Trump? I don't know. She won't say. 
What does she think about critical race theory being taught in public schools in Arkansas? What does she think about vaccine mandates? What does she think about mask mandates? I don't know. She won't say. And that's another thing that people on her Facebook page were complaining about is that she refuses to talk about the issues, any issues. But I know who she listens to. She listens to rhinos. She listens to French Hill, U.S. representatives from central Arkansas who stabs Trump in the back. She listens to U.S. Senator John Bozeman, who also said Trump was at least partially responsible for the violence on January 6th. She listens to the horrible Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson, who should not be allowed to continue as a Republican. And Sarah listens to her dad, former Governor Mike Huckabee. Is this really what we want for the next eight years? So anyway, I say all that to say this. From what I understand, it costs $15,000 to run for the Republican nomination for governor in Arkansas. So my wife and I have been praying about this the past few days because I've never in my life considered running for anything. But if the Lord provides the money, the $15,000 for the filing fee for the Republican nomination for governor in Arkansas, then I will file to run for governor. And it looks like we're a third of the way there already after less than three days. But anyway, I said, what do you all think? And I got a very positive reception from the Saline County Republican Women's Club. I said, what do you all think? Does that sound like a good idea? And they gave me a, a great round of applause, and I appreciate that. So... Now that you know why I'm running for governor of Arkansas, and I've got people coming out of the woodwork saying we want to contribute, and so we're going to try to get uh, together a uh, and a bank a bank account to do this officially and and get some something online for you for you to contribute, and I think we'll pass fifteen thousand dollars pretty quickly, but the. Um, uh, the filing deadline is uh, noon on March 1st. Anyway, now that you know why I'm running for governor, um, I'll conclude with the uh, my conclusion last night. I said, I want to conclude with a verse from Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Church of Galatia. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I sincerely hope not. Thank you for your patience. God bless you. And I got such a warm response, such a warm response from the ladies at the Saline County Republican Women's Club last night. And I appreciate so much the people who have been reaching out to me um, since then, all day long today saying, how can we help? How can we contribute? Um, as soon as we get the bank account and everything set up, um, we will um, we'll let you know. It'll be online. So, that having been said, you've been listening to the 84th episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. 
Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. And that's the way it is. Wednesday, February 9th, 2022.